Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport as we review the midweek action and look ahead to the upcoming weekend of Premier League games all in the company of the former England fullback Mickey Gray and TalkSport's Alex Crook. It's as you were at the top of the Premier League with Chelsea leading the way before a trip to the Hammers, City on their coattails and Liverpool not far behind after rubbing it in with Rafa and waking up the neighbours. We'll talk Manchester United and Arsenal. Crook and I have just returned from that game and look ahead to another jam-packed Saturday and Sunday that sees a huge match for Eddie Howe and Newcastle. They welcome Burnley, a game they simply have to win. But didn't we say that last week? The best way to digest the Premier League, it's got more about it than Everton and definitely more popular than Rafa. It's the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Hello to Mickey Gray and to Alex Crook. Uh, Crook and I have just got back from Manchester United Arsenal. I'll get to that in just a second. Mickey, welcome to the dungeon. How are you? Welcome, guys. It's nice l- down here, isn't it? Oh, it's lovely to see you in uh, in in all your uh, in all your glory. Thank you for turning up eventually because you were a little bit late, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, my apologies. I was all, actually I completely forgot, and I was on my way to um, getting a bike chain fixed on my son's BMX. Oh, were you? All yeah. right. Well, I'm sorry to uh, derail such a thing. Uh, Crooky made it all the way up from uh, the south coast. You okay? I did, yeah, all good. Yeah, enjoyable evening at Old Trafford. Yeah, and... <laughs> okay, get Says that, that with a grimace. Get that in, uh, to, in just a second. We're going to talk Manchester United, Arsenal, their next game, Manchester United against Palace with Ralph Ranjik in the dugout. We'll talk Everton in a bit as well. But first of all, let's look back on Thursday night's matches. <laughs> celebrations from Antonio Conte this is a really well worked goal actually by Tottenham it was started by Harry Kane lovely ball out towards the left hand side for Sergio Regalon Regalon squared it across the box for a tap in for Hun Min Sono question whether or not he'd had a very good season so far before the game he's not had a bad game tonight he's capped it with a goal 65 gone it's Spurs 2 Brentford 0 yeah satisfied because uh, to get two points against Brentford uh, is, uh, is not easy but not only against Brentford I think in England uh, to get three points uh, is not easy every game uh, uh, you have to prepare very well uh, the game uh, and uh, if you don't do this uh, anything can happen yeah it means everything um, it was an old school classic really wasn't it and um, I had a feeling it was, it was as the day went on there was something kind of bubbling in the air um, and I spoke to the players before the game about 
playing with emotion and creating the atmosphere in the stadium and, and that's what football is all about the entertainment and uh, playing for this club and creating that in this stadium and we've, we've seen it many times before and the boys done it all over again tonight it was um, pretty much the perfect night as, as, as it goes for me but actually it was a perfect night for the players I thought they fully fully deserved the game I think you can hear by this crowd what's happened that man Ronaldo has just scored his 801st career goal what a penalty just played it straight down the middle with a lot of pace Ramsdale went across to his left hand side it was a penalty it's the right decision he's just ran to the corner of the Stretford end and it is now Manchester United 3 Arsenal 2 Manchester United 3, Arsenal 2 and uh, Michael Carrick resigning in dramatic circumstances straight after the game. I don't think any of us really saw that coming but he's decided that his time with this great club as he calls it is at an end Uh, and he ends with a draw at Chelsea, a win in Europe and a victory over Arsenal. Um, We were in the ground and it was um, well, it was interesting watching you for the first 45 minutes because you got rather tense, didn't you? At one stage, you got up, started bellowing and screaming and shouting in frustration. I thought you were going to have some sort of health problem. It was a, it was a bit of a worry. But, um, I mean, they got the job done. But, I mean, for me, looking at the game, I mean, the most important thing was the two Ronaldo goals because that takes him to 800 and 801. Yeah, it was great to be in the stadium for a landmark moment. And I think that probably settles any debate about if Ralph Ragnick can find a role for Cristiano Ronaldo in his team. If you can't find a role for arguably the greatest goal scorer uh, that we've ever produced in this beautiful game, then I think you're doing something wrong. But I think there were more questions than answers for Ralph Ragnick, particularly in the first half, as you say. It was a a frustrating watch at times. Just a lack of confidence, a, a lack of purpose, a lack of pace about the way that United played. Well, I was moaning to you right at the beginning about the lack of tempo about Manchester United and the, the lack of movements, therefore the options. I mean, you could credit Arsenal in saying that they were, were closing off passing lanes. Sure, that was the case. But there wasn't, there was just wasn't enough movement from the Manchester United team, especially going forward. They lacked a, a real sense of purpose about them. Yeah, well, I would say if, if you look at the two teams um, and, and you've made this comment before, I, I think Arsenal... <laughs> maybe have peaked already. You know, I'm not sure there's many more gears that they can go up through. That certainly isn't the case for Manchester United. There's a lot of improvement individually and collectively. But if you look at the winners and losers, um, I thought Diogo Dallo had a good game at right back, offered more going forward than Wan-Bissaka. I thought Jaden Sancho, again, was positive, even in that first half when United were tentative. Whenever he was in possession, he tried to get his head up, tried to get them on the front foot. And Ronaldo, two goals. Uh, Okay, the second, a penalty lashed down the centre of goal. The first, a really instinctive finish. Not great defending from Arsenal. But there were some losers as well. Rashford, for me, wasn't great, apart from the pass that he played to create the goal. Fred, (laughs) he'll claim two assists, but he had a bit of a nightmare. Oh, leave him alone. He was nightmare. He was the man of the match. Dear, oh dear. As I say, this, this is where sometimes... He, he is one of the most unpopular players I think I've ever been in a stadium and sort of witnessed. I mean, the crowd, every time he got the ball, oh, they were ooing and ahhing. And there was one point where he got the ball and I think uh, Maguire had had a couple of speculative shots from quite a way out and he marauded up the pitch at one point 
And everybody was like, don't shoot again. And you were like, don't shoot. And then he laid it off to Freddie. Well, you definitely don't shoot. <laughs> I mean, he's just he was just a magnet for abuse, the poor lad. But he did create two goals because he won the penalty and he came up with a very good uh, assist. Um, what Did you learn anything about Arsenal tonight? I, mean, I said to you sort of midway through the second half, my assessment is these two teams will be lucky to be playing Europa League football next year. You still think Manchester United will get into the top four. And I can see that. But they are... They're away from the elite, aren't they? At the moment, um, but that's because they've been badly coached. You know, you can see a team with no identity. Yeah, Manchester United, but, you know, yeah. trust the process and all that. Mikel Arteta's had quite a bit of time with his team. Yeah, he has. And and that would be the worry, based on what I've just said. I think I think they have peaked. Aubameyang, you've mentioned it before, doesn't score away from home. He had some openings tonight, but he just didn't look like he was ever confident of beating the goalkeeper with the shots that he did have on target. They missed Saka, obviously bringing him on in the second half, defensively, you look at the goals they conceded, he'll be disappointed with that. And they kept, again, you, you pick up things when you're watching from on high as we were. The way they were playing out from the back on goal kicks, basically every goal kick, Ramsdale um, didn't take the goal kick. He got it from his defender, played it short, then played it long. It was all rather predictable. Um, and I think the sign of a good coach is someone who can react to a situation and change things on the job. They didn't really do that, Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, I saw them at um, Liverpool a couple of weeks ago, and one of the big criticisms there was that they continued to play out from the back, even when it was really not working. And like, you know, we were saying this during the game, you know, they keep playing it short and square, then Ramsdale gets it, then he boots it upfield, they lose it, and it comes back again. And it was happening over and over and over again. And you just think sometimes, someone on the pitch has got to change it. Someone's got to step in and be the captain and say, I mean, I don't even know who the Arsenal... Who is the Arsenal captain? Well, Bamiang, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, he never says anything or does anything. He's not a demonstrative leader in any way, shape or form. And they did, of course, take the lead in the most bizarrest of circumstances. And we must talk about that before we move on to Crystal Palace at the weekend. Um, The VAR um, giving the goal for Arsenal, a corner... It seemingly was cleared by Manchester United, came out to the edge of the box, Emil Smith-Rowe sent it back, and when he did, Manchester United didn't have a goalkeeper because he was there in the fetal position, clutching his incredibly badly injured leg uh, because Fred had, 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 I don't know, stepped on it or something. He thought he'd been fouled. Obviously, there was no Arsenal player anywhere near him. He went down clutching his leg. Obviously, that left an open goal. They scored in it. And then once the VAR had looked at it, realised that there was no foul at all. I mean, it felt bizarre at the time. But I said to you straight away, you know, they're going to check this for VAR. And there doesn't seem to be any reason why there should have been no goal. And, you know, obviously it went that way. Was that De Gea just being very soft, do you think? Yeah, that was the De Gea that we saw when he first came to England and question marks were raised about his physicality. It was comical, Um, although Michael Carrick wouldn't have been laughing at the time, I'm sure. But it was actually one of those where inside the stadium, nobody was quite sure what was going on. Because you don't get any big screen replays. that's where you need replays. Even at half-time, they weren't really showing that in the concourses. (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) But you see it again. I mean, it's it's embarrassing for for David De Gea, and I'm sure Ralph Ranić won't have been overly impressed with his uh, theatrics. So again... um, He got away with it because United have won the game. If they didn't, I think he would have had some serious questions to answer. He just got trodden on by Fred, really. Um, Okay, let's talk about Crystal Palace at the weekend. What will he keep from the Michael Carrick blueprint, Ralph Rangnick? Because, you know, they're unbeaten under uh, Carrick. So he's obviously doing something, right? Yeah, I think there is a bit more uh, pressing. Um, Certainly, they they tried to close Arsenal down on the edge of the penalty area when they were 
uh, playing it out from the back. So I think that will continue because we know that's the type of coach that Ranić is. I don't think he'll rip up the team sheet too much at the weekend, even I made his observations tonight. That 11 is probably good enough to beat Crystal Palace uh, at the weekend. I worry for Marcus Rashford if, if Mason Greenwood is, is fit and, and firing and maybe Jesse Lingard would feel that Rashford's form would give him a way into the team as well, but I wouldn't expect wholesale changes. After the match, uh, Michael Carrick announced that he is leaving. He's been at the club since 2006. Obviously, he's had a very good career there and won the Champions League, played in a couple of Champions League finals for Manchester United, won titles, cups, went onto the coaching staff, has assisted, what, five managers now? Um, certainly, he's uh, he's been around the block and he knows the club inside out, but he said that it's time for a change. Uh, from what I understand, he says he hasn't really had a, break since retiring as a player so the idea of sort of maybe just taking a bit of time out bit of distance maybe do some more work before moving into coaching full-time as a manager possibly um seems to be the right recipe for him how would you look back on his time at Old Trafford well I think certainly as, as a player um he was somebody who got the maximum out of his ability um and on his day was one of the best midfielders in the Premier League and he's got the trophies to show that that's why the fans still Sing about him with that song about it's hard to believe it's not um, Scholes, it's Carrick. And I think in terms of his coaching, I think he's someone who has served the club well and, and with distinction. I'm slightly surprised by the timing and I do wonder if maybe he's been given the nod that perhaps under Ralph Ranić, who wants to bring his own staff to the club, he wouldn't have possibly got as big a role as he may have expected. And it asks question marks now about the likes of Mike Phelan and, and McKenna do they stay on or is it a whole clean sweep now at Old Trafford? I think it'd be really interesting. I think it'd be interesting to see where Carrick pitches up next. We were talking about this on the walk home and you were saying, well, he's arguably got more experience than Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard when they went into their first jobs as frontline managers. But I think from the outside looking in, he, the perception is he doesn't have the same personality, the same gravitas as those two. So I wonder if he might have to do a bit more media work now to, to get his personality across. It's interesting, isn't it, that? The, the idea that you have to go on television and show that you really can command a room in order to sort of earn the respect of chairman that might be giving jobs out in the future. Well, I'll Sol Campbell uh, about trying to, you know, even get a job interview, let alone get the chance to impress chairman. It's a, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there and there's a, a lot of managers looking for jobs and probably more managers than there are jobs. Antonio Conte's unbeaten league starts Tottenham boss continued as they kept pace with the top four uh, with a comfortable win over Brentford at uh, the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Interesting first goal after just 12 minutes. Sergi Canos ended up scoring an own goal. Um, it was it was comical really, wasn't it? From a corner, it sort of bounced off everybody's head and then went in. Ben Davis claimed the goal initially and then said, well, actually, it wasn't really me. And that would have been his first ever goal, I think. First ever goal in, in senior football for club or country after several hundred appearances um, the award for biggest overreaction to a goal of the season to Antonio Conte <laughs> the way he celebrated that own goal him and uh, Mikel Arteta on the touchline at a North London derby is going to be fascinating isn't it really because those two are just over really over demonstrative managers whenever they're on the touchline um, also the second goal was a really good sort of counter-attacking goal wasn't it they picked off a ball and then broke down the left hand side Reggie on at speed breaking into the box decent crossing for Son who couldn't help but put it around but Harry Kane still toiling you know crossing to the box that went miles away from everybody. A one-on-one opportunity that he missed straight at the goalkeeper. It's not really working out for him, is it? Yeah, why does that upset you, though? <laughs>
It upsets me terribly because he was the first pick that I had in the draft league this year and uh, he's contributed very little to the overall uh, success or otherwise of my team. Or, or to Tottenham, in actual fact, in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But obviously, more importantly, he's contributed very little to Tottenham, which is a bit of an uh, an issue for them. Uh, Tottenham come up to six as a result of that. Two points behind West Ham United in fourth. Brentford slipped down to 12th. As a result of that, Tottenham take on Norwich at the weekend. I'm going to predict that they get three points uh, from that one. Um, Manchester United, Crystal Palace, how's that going to end on Sunday? I think Ralph Ranick's first home game in charge. There'll be a, a carnival atmosphere at Old Trafford. They're in a confident groove in terms of results. If not 90-minute performances, I think they'll win the game. And actually, they've had problems with Crystal Palace in recent seasons. So that is quite a bold prediction. OK, all right. Let's look back at the rest of the week's action and look ahead to some of the big matches that are happening this Saturday. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Saturday is game day, and game day is the day. The rebound is turned in by Mikhail Antonio. Two years ago, we had to avoid relegation in the last nine games after lockdown. We've done it, and now you're talking about, you know, we want a team who's in the Champions League. Fantastic goal! Rhys James clobbered that into the back of the net. Well, there's no other team in the country's top four division who have not managed to win in the league this season, and Newcastle United are going to have to do something that is almost impossible. I think I have to cling to what I've seen in terms of what the players have delivered, the spirit in the battle that we have ahead. Oh, what a hit this is from Maxwell Cornet. Emmanuel Dennis has added his name to an ever-increasing score sheet. Gabriel Jesus' goal with 3-0. Manchester City are unstoppable in this move. This is Talk Sports Game Day. We own Saturdays. The biggest matches at the biggest moments. 
Everton against Arsenal is on Monday night, but let's look at the situation involving Rafa Benitez. Everton and their board. And I was at the game on Wednesday night and the fans were ferocious in their condemnation of the board, uh, confronting the CEO, Denise Barrett-Baxendale, and Bill Kenwright, the chairman, who was trying to play Kate fans. But in all honesty, I mean, they're the ones, along with Marcel Brands, who are to blame. The Rafa jibes and the idea that it's all because he's ex-Liverpool is a bit easy uh, to a stick to beat them with, Mickey, isn't it? Because it's not his fault that they've wasted half a billion quid before he arrived. Yeah, well, some of the players who have been bought for Everton are just, they're not good enough. It's as simple as that. You know, you see certain individuals who've been brought into that club, players that don't actually want to be at their club. Rodriguez couldn't wait to get out of there as soon as Ancelotti lost, lost his job. Um, and that appointment was always going to split the supporters. Whether you think it's the owners' faults or technical directors who've been bringing in these players, um, I just think that Rafa Benitez walked through that door thinking, I'm going to get it right. And it was never going to be the case. He had to get off to a good start, which he did. But I think after that, you look at the form. I think, was it eight games unbeaten uh, without a win at the moment? It is, it's really poor. And they're always going to point the finger at Rafa. Yeah, they're always going to point the finger at Rafa because he is a former Liverpool manager. I mean, there was mutiny in the air last night. I mean, that's how it felt. It, I mean, it's unacceptable to get ripped apart by Liverpool in a derby, whatever the context. And I think that it wasn't helped by the fact that Rafa Benitez's name was chanted for the first time at Goodison Park <laughs> but by the Liverpool supporters. Um, I, I just don't necessarily think it was the right thing to do to appoint him in terms of oh, the overall context, but he's probably the best man for the job in terms of if you take yourself out of the Liverpool-Everton um, rivalry thing. He probably is the most qualified person on these aisles to take that job at this particular time. But emotions are high, blood is up. It was a terrific match in terms of the event. It was a great spectacle. But the patience is always going to run out quicker with a manager who has a Liverpool connection. I think the one thing that worried me slightly was when he decided that at 3-1 down he was going to take off Delph, uh, take off uh, Townsend and bring on Delph to sort of stiffen things up and be a bit more pragmatic. That's never going to help. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't believe that uh, Rafa Benitez is completely blameless in this. I think his persistence with Salomon Rondon is also giving Everton fans a fairly big stick to beat him with. They've got uh, Ellis Sims waiting on the bench. He scored a lot of goals for Blackpool, albeit mm. in the Championship. He outscored Mason Greenwood uh, under 23 level surely at some point y- you have to put your faith in a young player when you've got so many injuries in the forward areas but I agree with you uh, it was always going to turn toxic quickly because of his Liverpool connections but it doesn't matter who the manager of Everton is they've tried Ancelotti they've t- tried Ronald Koeman they've tried uh, Marco Silva and Roberto Martinez going even further back they're good coaches but ultimately they've showed ambition in the in the transfer market they've spent a lot of money an awful lot of money the Everton owners but they've spent it badly because that squad is dreadful. There's still no pace. Uh, you mentioned to me on the phone last night that Seamus Coleman was at fault ultimately for the goal that really clinched the game for Liverpool. If you're still relying on Seamus Coleman when you spent hundreds of millions of pounds, that really highlights the problems that you have. Marcel Brands, for me, is the main reason that Everton are in uh, such a dire situation. But ultimately, despite what Farhad Mashiri told Jim White on TalkSport on Thursday... Benitez will probably pay the price with his job at some point because the fans just aren't going to have him. Yeah, he's pretty strong about the fact that he's not going to sack uh, Rafa Benitez. Is that the right choice, do you think? Well, we heard the same thing about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, didn't we? <laughs> he was supposed to be there till the end of the season. Sam, if you're not winning football games, you lose your post. Um, if, if it goes to, I would say, let's say double figures, he looks under pressure. 
he looks when when you see managers in te- in the technical areas when they're trying to manage a game and try to organise a game. I mean, Cookie just mentioned there, or it may have been you, the changes he made in the middle of that game yeah. were not to lose four, five, and six. Exactly, that's a problem. That is, and this is one of the biggest derbies in the Premier League. You have got to try and make changes to go and get yourself back into a football match, and that's a big worry. He's obviously thought about the games prior to that. He's lost the games or he's drew the games. They've not won for eight games now. That's a big problem. I always look at Everton, or I have done over the last three or four seasons, and we always think, okay, you've got your top six. You always think, right, Everton can break into that seventh position, get themselves into Europe. They're not there anymore. No. Sides like West Ham, Leicester City, they've overtaken But they had a great start to the season, didn't they? Four wins in six. Yerry Mina was playing well. Dominic Cavett-Lewin was fit at the time and he was scoring goals. Since they've disappeared, obviously, it's gone very badly for Rafa Benitez. They've slipped down the form table. The worst team in the Premier League in terms of form. Chelsea went to Watford. You expect them to beat them. Um, Manchester City had Aston Villa. You'd expect them to come through that game. You expect them to come through most games, to be honest with you. But Liverpool against Everton is always a difficult one to negotiate it. And they negotiated it really well. I mean, they were ferocious going forward, weren't they? Ridiculous. Um, when Well, we did the Arsenal game, didn't we? A yeah. few weeks ago. And I just thought then, you know, they are title challenges. It's always nice to maybe you know, bring in two or three sides. But I've watched Liverpool... Over the last few weeks, Man City, obviously, every home game and, and, and when they play um, through the week, and Chelsea. And of the three going for, I mean, their goal-scoring record is just breathtaking at the moment. You just don't know where they're going to come from. Everybody's saying they've got the best player in the world at the moment. You can't argue with that. I think Pep's saying uh, Bernardo Silva's the best player in the Premier League at the minute. So, you know, who is the best? Because they're two sensational players, but Liverpool, on the eye, Salah's the best. There's no doubt about it, is there? I mean, would you? could anyone argue, even you sitting in your Manchester United jersey here tonight, can you argue that Mo Salah is the best player in the Premier League right now? No, and it was the calibre of the two goals. Oh. As much as Everton was so poor defensively, he still had an awful lot to do mm. with both finishes, but he's got mm. so much confidence now, Mohamed Salah. You, you feel that every time he gets within a, a sniff of goal, he's going to put it in the back of the net. He'll win the golden boot. Uh, for me, he is the best player in the world right now. If he doesn't win the Ballon d'Or this time next year, I'd be well, I'd be disappointed. But that is effectively Hold on a second. That, that is effectively that, the football equivalent of the Eurovision that Song Contest. Why won't Messi get it anyway? Doesn't, doesn't Messi just get it anyway? Even if he hasn't done anything for a year, just just give it to Messi. That's that will the, probably the rules, come down to winning the Champions League. It always seems to be the case. Well, if you're Messi not, didn't win the Champions League. If you're not Ronaldo League. or you're not Messi, you don't win the Ballon d'Or if you don't win the Champions League. Um, I, I mean, we haven't ever spoken about that, but that was a. it felt like a bit of a stitch-up, that, didn't it, really? The yeah. whole Messi winning the Ballon d'Or. But anyway, that's a different debate. Um, Liverpool have scored two or more goals in each of their last 18 games. That is unbelievable. How how will um, their next opponents be able to uh, stop them? I mean, Wolverhampton Wanderers, actually, are the clean sheet specialists, and maybe they're the best uh, equipped to be able to do that. Maybe, but I still can't see it. Um, in all honesty, I think it would take uh, some defensive performance to keep out, not just Salah, but Yotta's goal was absolutely exceptional as well. How well is he playing at the moment? Liverpool have got threats all over the pitch. I watched the highlights of the, of the Wolves game against Burnley. They had plenty of chances. I mean, Adama Traore, why he didn't just roll in Jimenez to his left? Only he will know. But they've only scored, I think, 12 goals this season, Wolves. So while the perception is that they've improved under Bruno Large. Actually, maybe the, the raw stats don't back that up. Liverpool will win this game. There's there's no other outcome. You're not undervalued them, are you? You're not, are you? Are you? Undervalued. Undervalued. 
to find players that they believe are <laughs> undervalued. Yeah? No. <laughs> Krill. 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 Full time, West Ham won, Brighton won. West Ham had chances throughout. They proved to be costly misses. You know we can play better just now. We're in a little bit of a sticky period. And tonight was was a real close call. We could have easily nicked it. And even when it went one each, we had a great chance to make it 2-1 and we didn't take it. Chelsea do have the three points. It looked like they were going to let slip of top spot tonight until Hakim Ziyech popped up with a goal. My opinion from the side, the worst game so far since I, I've been there. I don't know where it's coming from. And and uh, maybe I don't I don't want to know. They're the games you want to play in. <laughs> you thrive off them games, 12.30, early kick-off, difficult ones again, away from home, team that's doing very well this season. So um, they come thick and fast, but as players, that's what you want. It's showtime. Uh, Chelsea take on West Ham at the London Stadium live on TalkSport and they got a bit lucky against Watford didn't they who nearly got a late equaliser it's a huge game for Chelsea they won their last year with no crowd but failed to win on their previous three trips across town and the atmosphere is going to be banging and that trip last year no crowd the previous three obviously it always is intoxicating when you go there if you're if you're Chelsea you think they've had a little bit of a dip in form West Ham yeah I mean I think both teams Chelsea and West Ham had a little bit of dip in form West Ham's probably the first time this season they've stumbled a couple of times in a row usually they bounce back quite quickly mm. that hasn't happened obviously they dropped points against Brighton in midweek Chelsea Chelsea had a lower xG than Watford on Wednesday night. Now, that is worrying because they're creating chances last season and not scoring them. Now, they aren't creating as many chances. Chilwell's injured. James has got a problem. Lukaku's only just coming back. But even when Lukaku was playing early in the season, he wasn't scoring for fun. Mm. I think they had a better record, or XG as you call it, without Lukaku in the team than what they had when he was playing in the team. Look, he's, he's going to make them stronger. I think, you know, there's a certain point in a season where you, you've got to rely on somebody like Lukaku. He will get goals, whatever side he plays in, whether you love him or whether you don't think he's good enough to play in the Premier League or for one of the top sides. As Man United and me, and you know that, Crookie, you know, like, I couldn't wait for him to go, to be honest with you. But I think he fits the mould of Chelsea, if I'm completely honest with you. But the other night, uh, when they played against um, Watford, I thought they were fortunate that they had to leave the field. They had to leave the field. It was Wofford, wasn't it? Yeah, they had an in, yeah. A, uh, a medical emergency. Yeah, there was they? an emergency in the, in the crowd. Up until that point, they were really poor. I thought, uh, I thought Wofford were excellent. They took the game to them, created so many opportunities. They went off the field, obviously had that five-minute warm-up. But before they came back onto the field, that's when they started to play a little bit better. But it wasn't a good performance. And, and what's honest and what's great is two cows... One of, I don't know, maybe three or four managers who comes in front of camera and says, we weren't good enough today. Mm. We didn't play well enough today. The rest of them kind of stick up for the players. Uh, you know, we worked really hard, like Rafa Benitez. We worked really hard. You know, I, I thought we were really well organised. We, we run more than anybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. it's not. Didn't you score want, any goals. You, but... want Tuchel, you want somebody like Tuchel coming in front of camera and saying, not good enough today. Five or six of me players weren't at it. I knew it when I was in the dressing room. I knew we weren't ready for the game today. I, th- I think that's brilliant. Well, I mean, he's brilliant, but also begs the question, why were they not ready for the game today? Well, you should know more than anybody, you know, being a Chelsea <laughs> supporter, but I, I do believe, right, as, a, as we'll an ex-player, yeah. I've had managers being in dressing rooms and I've heard that team talk loads of times. Definitely with the games I've been playing in anyway. <laughs> you know, managers will come in at the end of a game and go, I sensed it before the game. 
Yeah. Well, if you sense it... Why don't you do something about it? <laughs> yeah, get a reaction from the players. Uh, West Ham United, obviously, uh, dropping points against Brighton, but they're still in fourth position. You can just see those top three, though, pulling away. Liverpool, Manchester City and Chelsea. There's now a seven-point gap uh, from West Ham uh, to Liverpool. I mean, West Ham were never really expected to compete with those three, but they may well end up competing for a top-four place. Yeah, I'm not convinced, to be honest. I think if we're expecting uh, Ralph Ranić to make the kind of impression that all the hipsters are telling us he will at, at Manchester United, then they should finish above them. I think Arsenal probably had the quality to finish above them as well. You would expect Antonio Conte, certainly once the January transfer window comes around, to get a tune out of Tottenham. And I saw Leicester at St Mary's in midweek. In the second half, they played really well. So I think there's a there's a lot of competition for that fourth place. What I would say about West Ham, look at Mikel Antonio. One goal in ten now, yeah. I think, for him. And that's a problem. because we they mentioned they, that in last week's podcast, they, didn't we? They don't have a backup option. The players they've signed, the likes of Nikola Vlasic, probably looks more like the Nikola Vlasic that we saw at Everton than we did at CSKA in Moscow at this moment in time. So I think there is a, a lack of depth for West Ham at the top end of the pitch. I know they had a goal ruled out rather harshly, perhaps a second goal that would have killed off the game against Brighton. But if you're asking me, can West Ham finish in the top four? I think the answer has to be no, realistically. Just Googling Sebastian Haller's goal tally for this year so far. How many has he got? Five in the Champions League, 13 in the, oh no, nine in the Champions League, nine in the Eredivisie, uh, one in the Johan Cruyff Shield. Uh, so that's a grand total of 19 can, already. Well, can, can he's, we, a, he's a proper centre-forward, though, isn't he? And, and Mikel Antonio is a converted winger who's done very well in that number nine position. But is he ever going to get you 20 goals a season? I think he's only ever got well, you 10. Well, he thought, he, thought and, he was at the beginning of the season. And, and the Sebastian Haller thing, I mean, it was being a bit facetious, but they, they don't play towards his strengths. And I remember at the time when... I was talking to some of the coaching staff at West Ham. They said, well, look, he thrives on a certain type of cross into the box and you have to make chances for him inside the penalty area and he'll score you loads of goals. We don't play like that because we don't have the personnel. But you just wonder whether or not that over time they might have got something a little bit more out of him if they had adapted to the way that he played, you know, as a plan B and a different option to a Mikel Antonio. Maybe at the time they couldn't afford uh, to keep them both. I think it's going to be a really interesting game. Who do you think is going to come out on top, Chelsea or West Ham? It's live on Talk Sport. Chelsea. You think Chelsea? Yeah. I think Chelsea will find a way to win. They're doing that a lot at the moment, but we, we spoke on the podcast the weekend. Mickey and I both in agreement. They're third favourites, despite the fact they're top of the table, because City and Liverpool have the ability to blow teams away. At the moment, we haven't really seen that from Chelsea. You change your mind like the win, though, don't you? I mean, and I, I said at the beginning of the season that we should consider Leicester as a member of the uh, the top six now. We should we should almost say seven, six plus Leicester. They're, they're part of the main club. And you were like, no, 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 Leicester aren't very good, blah, blah, blah. You've been slagging off Brendan Rodgers and all that. You don't want him anywhere near Old Trafford. And now, all of a sudden, you're suggesting that they might finish in the top four. No, I'm not. I'm talking about teams who will finish ahead of West Ham. Manchester United will finish fourth. You sure? Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Right, okay. Bold claim, number 17 for this week. Uh, Manchester City go to Watford, live on TalkSport 5.30. The Hornets scared Chelsea, but I doubt they'll scare Manchester City. Or will they? They certainly appear to have a bit of firepower, don't they? I mean, Dennis, King, they're all chipping in with goals and they're creating chances as well. Yeah, I don't know if Saar's going to be back for that game. No, I don't think well. he's going to be back till January. Yeah, and that's a shame because he gives them something on that right-hand side. Definitely the pace that he's got. Um, he's a quality player as well, but Dennis has been really impressive. Mm. Very, very impressive, but... They've got to get the ball to them first, Sam. That's the big worry when you're playing against Man City. Look, Paris Saint-Germain game, the Everton game. We were, were just... at the West Ham, uh, the West Ham game on Sunday. Yeah. 
Yeah. I just boring, apparently, according to <laughs> Alex. Brooke. They they've got a way of of working teams out. I mean, the only team that's probably went at them, and I know West Ham did at times, but Paris Saint Germain. But if you go at Man City and you don't get yourself an early goal. I just think they find a way of breaking you down and working you out. Mm. With the other sides, definitely the Everton game, because they have everybody behind the ball, instead of trying to catch them on a counter-attack and using the brilliant football that they've got, they work you from left to right and right to left. So you you are working hard as a defensive team because you're shuffling across the field rather than up and down the field. You're going left to right. And the players think to themselves, well, we can't get out. Every player behind the ball and Man City just keep finding a way, whether it's Kai Walker playing a 70-yard diagonal pass across to Raheem Sterling or Cancelo a diagonal pass from left to right across to Gabriel Jesus. They find a way of breaking you down. I've never seen a team, and this is probably in Premier League history, maybe Man United with Kanchelskis and Giggsy when they were playing as wide players, get to the byline as much as I see Man City. And... I'm going to put this out there, Crookie, you won't, probably won't agree with this. Oh, is if bold, Rina- bold claim. Bold if Ronaldo claim. was playing for Man City now, I think he'd have about 20 goals. Yeah, I agree. I really do. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Because he wouldn't have to work. You know, I keep everybody talks about this pressing game and everything. Ronaldo could be a centre-forward for Manchester City and I'm putting it, I think he could have 20 goals. So, Trevor Sinclair was right. Um, yes and no. It depends how you put it. it yeah. Trevor put it a different way. Trevor put it a different way and I think you've got to look at the way that Man City are set up. They haven't got a centre forward. They've not really had one for two seasons or a, hot, a season and a half now. They work without having a centre forward. But for some, well, it's not a strange reason, it's just the way they play. Whether it's Sterling, whether it's Grealish, whether it's Cancelo, Kyle Walker on the other side, they get to the byline. You see how many goals they score from pulling the ball back from the byline to the edge of the 18 area. They've got two in the last two games. It's and that, special what they do. And that goal, speaking of special, that goal from Bernardo, and I know we had an incredible overhead kick from Neil Mope, who can do that but can't score from four yards out, one-on-one with the goalkeeper. But for me, Bernardo's goal, goal of the season so far, not just the finish, but the way that the breakaway move, the way that they caught Aston Villa upfield. They're, listen, boring... I didn't mean Manchester City are boring. It can be, they can be a hard team to commentate sometimes because they just make so many passes. They pass the opposition to sleep <laughs> and the commentator. Just, but they're, just they're, dig they're, that hole. Just get, but they're playing fantastic football at the moment without that number nine. But I agree with Mickey. I mean, Ronaldo would fill his boots. <laughs> I'm glad he's at Manchester United and not at Manchester City. Let's just say that. I spoke a lot about defences and how they win leagues. And Chelsea conceding the least amount of goals has certainly been a major plus uh, for them. But City give up the fewest chances in the league and that's why I actually think they'll probably end up winning the league even though I tip Liverpool and clearly would prefer it if it was somebody else. Who would that be? I don't know. Winless Newcastle were the better team even after brainless Kieran Clark got sent off on Tuesday night. Newcastle take on Burnley uh, this weekend. They've all been complaining they wanted entertaining football. You got that tonight. Well, you lost. Um, the stats say that no one has ever survived from here. Crook, you said two weeks ago that they would survive. Have you changed your mind in a word, yes or no? I think it would be very difficult now. Ah. <laughs> what about you, Sunderland's greatest, Mickey Gray? Well, do I think they'll survive? Yeah. Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's a, it, 
This is going to be an ongoing story, but obviously with the takeover, what's happened at Newcastle, um, everybody thought that they were going to go and break the bank in January and spend 200 and 300 million quid, or maybe even more than that. I've been told, and I think you probably have as well, is they've been given 50 million pounds to spend in January, mm. which is not enough to improve that Newcastle squad to keep them in the Premier League. Well, you give them 500 million pounds in January and they're probably not going to stay in the Premier League now because they are so far back. That is a major problem, isn't it? You know, the fact is is that if you look at the table as we speak right now and there's still stuff to to play before the weekend. They are already 6 points back from Watford. Um, they're stranded. They haven't they haven't won a game yet. No one has ever from this position, 7 points from 14 games, ever stayed in the Premier League. Now, Eddie Howe, I feel a bit sorry for him because he's only been there for two minutes and all, all, already it feels as if he there's no chance of him getting out of it. He's got the weight of the world on his shoulders, in all honesty, and he certainly had that when Kieran Clark, to use your words, brainlessly got himself sent off. I think they'd have beaten Norwich quite comfortably uh, with 11 men. I actually think they played okay. Probably Joe Ellington's best performance in a Newcastle shirt. He was brilliant. I, I mentioned to you a few weeks ago that he was a player that they believe they can really get a tune out of. Okay, maybe we'll have to adapt his game because he isn't going to score goals, which is clearly what they paid the money for. But I hope that Eddie has been given some kind of assurances about his long-term future because if they don't beat Burnley this weekend, there's no guarantee they will, they might not get another point between now and New Year's Day. Yeah, because their fixtures are absolutely horrendous. And you wonder then, with the impatient owners, owners who aren't necessarily used to, to running football clubs, might they panic? Could Eddie Howe stay at St James's Park, actually be quite short-lived. Well, that would be ludicrous because it's not his fault they're in this situation. They've, I mean, we watched them. We, I did the Arsenal game. I, did, I actually sat down and watched the Norwich-Newcastle game from start to finish. And I thought, shape-wise, they were really good. I thought they would have battered Norwich. Norwich were dreadful even with 11 against 10. I mean, they were they were pathetic, really. Couldn't, I was couldn't pass the ball. It was Shit. awful. I mean, whereas Newcastle looked to have a little bit about them. They 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 fed off the crowd, which is a really important thing. You know, going into the game against Burnley, they'll need that. But Burnley have had a you know a little bit of a lighter time of it because of the fact that their game was cancelled at the weekend. So I wonder whether or not that will play into their hands or not. You know, also, you know, Burnley. Whenever you think they're not going to get a result, they they tend to. Sean Dyche has been there and done it, hasn't he, for how many years? They've, yeah. had, they've had a little bit of success in a couple of the seasons they've been in the Premier League, but I think now this 4-4-2 that he's, he's stuck with throughout the whole time of being in the Premier League with a couple of changes here and there, I think it's maybe catching up with him a little bit, um, not being able to make as many changes as you want. You talk about system-wise and organisation for Newcastle and player-wise, the players just aren't good enough. I mean, how many would you keep moving forward with that Newcastle team? I feel a little bit guilty having this conversation with you. I've got to be completely no, honest with you. you know, the, the, the most Sunderland person I'm, I've ever I'm, met. But I'm not. So I, I think they're brilliant for the Premier League, Newcastle. Yeah. I'd love Sunderland to be in the Premier League with them. If you're talking about support and football clubs and the way they... You'd like it a lot more if they got relegated and Sunderland got promoted, wouldn't you? That'd be nice, yeah. Then we'd have the derby <laughs> back on. But honestly, I don't, I don't wish a side to be relegated. Mm. Well, I did, actually, last season. I felt, <laughs> Crystal Palace I wanted to go down because I just think that they get the 39 and 40 points and then everybody just goes right okay that's enough forget yeah, it and yeah. I, I hate do that. I absolutely do that hate that no but, but Patrick Vieira has made them much more watchable Oh, absolutely, yeah, football-wise, yeah, but um, it's all about winning football matches. Uh, Norwich played Tottenham, who played on Thursday night, so the Canaries have significantly more rest, but crikey, they were poor against 11 men and not much better against 10. They should uh, certainly be thinking Tottenham Hotspur about getting another three points. Southampton against Brighton is this weekend. Uh, Now, talk to me about Southampton. You saw them against Leicester. Um, We saw them on Saturday get absolutely torn apart 
by Liverpool. I take it he didn't play three at the back against Leicester. No, that was a complete brain freeze by Ralph Hasenhutl. As he admitted himself after the game, then pulled back actually a bit in his programme though and said, I've watched the game again. We played all right against Liverpool and they'll beat a lot of teams this season. But yeah, he, he did Thanks go, for that, Ralph. He did go back to the 4-2-2-2 uh, the formation that he likes to adapt. Uh, Nathan Redman, who's got a lot of criticism from Southampton fans for his lack of end product, he was much better than he has been for a while, having overcome a bout of COVID uh, and become a dad recently. He got a rare assist this season for the diving header from Shea Adams. I enjoyed watch- I enjoyed the game. It was, it was a decent spectacle. I think Southampton played their part in that. Listen, I know they're hovering dangerously close to, to the dotted line, five points above Burnley. I still think I've seen enough from Southampton this season to suggest they will be okay. Do you not worry though, Cookie? The end of last season, they, they hardly won, did they? And they got dragged into a relegation fight. If that happens in the second half of the season, this time around, they could get dragged into that bottom three. I do think there's three sides worse than them. And you're right, I think Redmond's he, he's got pace and quality. Armstrong's come in and he's he's done okay. He's scored goals. But I do worry about that 4-2-2. I think that's what Sister Man United are going to try and um, play over the next well, few weeks as well. Mm. Ralph Hasenhutl learnt it from yeah. uh, Ralph Ranić uh, when they worked together at Leipzig. So there's there's every chance they, they might try that. It, it puts a lot of emphasis on the fullbacks to get forward. And Southampton have a couple of fullbacks in Livramento and, and Walker Peters. He's had to retrain himself as a, a right-footed left-back uh, to get up and get crosses into the box. It's interesting you mentioned about running out of steam because they don't just run out of steam at the end of a season. They run out of steam in games. Half time. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> they produced very few 90-minute performances this season and Leicester were the better team in the second half. So maybe that's a result of overtraining or the, the physical demands that Ralph puts on his well, players. Well, he does. He puts a lot of uh, stock by intensity, doesn't he? I mean, when you look at the games that they've actually won this season, 1-0 against Aston Villa just before they sacked Dean Smith. Yeah, but they battered Villa. But they won 1-0. Yeah. Uh, they won one nil away at Watford. Battered them. Yep, one nil. Um, they won um, one nil at home to Leeds. Battered them. Yep, one nil. <laughs> um, and uh, they beat. And the only other victory they've got in any competition all season was a win away at Newport County. What was the score there? Well, they did batter them. It was eight nil, <laughs> but it was Newport County. So they've the kept the three clean apart. sheets and they've scored one goal to win a football match. Yeah, they're defensively a lot more resolute than they have been under Ralph in previous seasons. He's got that end of the pitch right. I think he's still looking for that combination. They're still fifth from up bottom. Front. Yeah, but listen, if they finish sixteenth, that's probably about right. Hold on a second. At the beginning of the season, we were all saying that they'd be scrapping around towards the edge of the relegation zone, and you were saying no, they'd be okay. I think I said they'd be looking over their shoulders, but we'll be okay. At the moment, they're looking over their shoulders, but they're okay. But that, is this a good result, 16, 17? It is when you consider they sold their leading goal scorer, arguably their best defender of last season, and their most experienced player in Danny Ings, Yannick Vestergaard and Ryan Bertrand. Just picking up the goalposts and moving them somewhere else. Things change over the course of the season with this man in, in the podcast, that is for sure. Uh, Villa against Leicester is Sunday 4.30. Stevie G versus Brendan. What a match-up. Two old friends from their Liverpool days. Could have won the title. Just missed out. Now they clash in the dugout. What are you expecting? They've done okay since he walked through the door, Aston Villa. Yeah. Could have actually got something out of the game against yeah. Man City. Had a really good chance. I think it was late on, about 70-75 minutes. Um, so I think he's got everybody on side they looked as if they were they were singing his name I think the style of football that Stephen will want to play there will excite the, uh, the Aston Villa supporters I think the players will enjoy playing this, the, the type of football that Stephen wants to play but I think they're going to go through spells where they'll win two or three games 
then they'll go through a spell of not being able to win for two or three games. I think it's going to be that type of season for them. Well enough to stay in the Premier League. Absolutely, I think their squad's decent. Now, we've talked about the forward players. Danny Ings obviously not getting into the start 11 at the minute, or I don't even think he was on the bench the other day. So I don't know if he was injured, but Watkins looks lively. Set pieces were great. I don't know if you saw two or three of them in the game. Austin McPhee is the set piece coach there, and he works really hard on uh, formulating inventive plans. Four and against? Four and against, yeah. Four and against. Well, the four, well obviously, the, I mean, the goal that they scored was, was very well worked. You know, it's, it's normal, the Teddy Sheringham way, you pull it back to the edge of the 18-yard box, but it was played to the front stick, then played back to Watkins, stuck in the back of the net. And that got them back into the game, so that might help them move them forward. But also, Leicester and Brendan, I, I just think it's going to be one of those seasons. I, I don't see them finishing the top four. I really don't. I think you're going to get certain weeks. There's certain players. Madison, um, which you've just been chatting about there as well, looks as if he's found his form again. Yep. But I think he's, he's a hit and miss player. Yeah, twinkling he was on Wednesday night. And he's got goals and assists in his last three games for fun. He looks as if he's found his mojo again. Yeah, the penny seems to have dropped with him, doesn't it? After uh, being overlooked by England for the European Championships and struggling even to get in the Leicester eleven at the start of the season. But he literally dragged them back into the game by their coattails, the goal that he scored, picking it up deep in his own half, eventually getting possession again on the edge of the six-yard box and a really good finish at the near post. But it's interesting that uh, Mickey has highlighted uh, how successful Villa are uh, set pieces, and I think Austin McPhee has played a massive part in that. You saw <laughs> Stephen Gerrard. rubbish Exactly. You saw Stephen Gerrard embrace <laughs> the, the set-piece coach, um, who looks a bit like a Viking. I think it was you who uh, made that comparison. But Leicester can't defend from corners and from free kicks. So that's a massive issue for them. They haven't kept a clean sheet in the Premier League since the first day of the season. And to mm-hmm. me, Chu feels like someone who is still almost learning how to play again after, I think, being mentally scarred by mm. what happened with Turkey at the European Championships. One or two mistakes earlier in the season. So what you know about Leicester is they're always going to concede, but they're going to create chances as well. And I wonder if now is the time that Brendan Rodgers will put his faith in Keenan Dewsbury Hall because he made a massive difference when he came on in the second half of St Mary's and the Foxes fans are clamouring for him to get more game time. Yeah, he played in the Community Shield and actually played in quite a few pre-season games. He was really impressive and they felt at the time he was going to have a breakthrough season. I wonder if that is incoming because he is very composed in the middle of the park. Uh, we like him a lot. That Sunday, 4.30, we'll update you around the grounds on TalkSport as Adrian Dunham does the Sunday session taking you uh, around the grounds in all of those matches but also uh, some of the FA Cup second round games as well. Been lovely to see you in the dungeon, by the way, Mickey. Thanks for coming. Second time I've been. Anyway. Yeah, it's second... You get a ball after you've been three. Uh, three times you get to take home a match ball. There's a, as you can see over there, there is a uh, Del- oh, no, I don't Delta, want them. Delta Ultimax Mitre I got from hit. 1993. I got hit on the leg about 30 times with one of them yeah. in certain games. Yeah. And after you do, you've, you've got Mitre Multiplex written on your leg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they hurt. <laughs> right, and, uh, and thank you very much for coming all the way up from the South Coast, Alex. Very nice. And it's good that you could squeeze in here. Well, I know you had a bit of a, a bit of trouble. I was going to say, I'm going to take my time getting up because I've already hit my head at least five times. <laughs> it reminds me, actually, I went on board the Art Royal once and uh, banged my head right in front of the captain. That was quite embarrassing. Yeah, this is a, this is a, uh, this is a fullback studio I've got to be honest with you you know it's not Mickey, for big central defenders like me this no. is, yeah there's just two guys five foot seven and five foot eight having a go at somebody <laughs> it's nine foot seven uh, right okay that's it from us uh, we'll be back uh, you'll be back on Monday morning uh, when you wake up Alex Crook will be hosting the podcast uh, this uh, weekend to review all the action in the Premier League please rate and review the game day podcast from Talk Sport. we'd love to hear from you 
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.